reviews and the Denver Planning Board reviews and makes recommendations to the mayor and Denver City Council on rezoning requests, district design standards, and other land use rules. This meeting of the Denver Planning Board begins now. Afternoon. I would like to call to order the Denver Planning Board meeting for December 6th. I'll start with a roll call um, on the members that we have present. And I'll actually just have you say your name as you go down the line and go around. Rachel Marion. Heidi Major. Aunt Jill Fother. Claude Hart. Patricia Cohn. Mary Coddington. And I'm Caitlin Quander, and I'm here as well. We have three excused absences in Sarah Course, Jordan Block, and Fred Glick, correct? Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Um, so planning board reserves time at the beginning of every meeting for public comment on any item that does not have a hearing or item on the regular agenda. This is the time to let us know something you think planning board should know, but planning board will not be responding or entering into a dialogue about it because it is not on the publicly noticed agenda. If you are here to give comment on something you would like planning board to know about that is not otherwise on the agenda, please raise your hand and Delio Lombardi, are you here? Available online? Yes, I'm here. Great, and you're here to speak to something not, not listed on our agenda? No, I am not, I'm sorry. Oh, no problem. Um, are you here to speak on the uh, near Northwest area plan? Uh, no, for the Haven of Hope project. Great, thank you. Um, and just so you know, the Haven of Hope has asked to postpone um, that application. So for we have a set date for February seventh, twenty twenty four. And so um, you're welcome to stay on. But I thought I'd just give you that heads up in case you. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. If I'm no, I might, no, no. Couple, it, it was a recent request, so they have put postponed for February seventh. Okay, I'm going to just stay on for a couple minutes just so I can understand the process. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so we now have meeting records to go over. We have two different meeting records, those from Wednesday, November 15th, and those from Wednesday, November 1st. Um, so I will take a motion for those for November 15th. And actually, let me do a quick count to make sure we have a, yeah, we have a majority or a quorum for that vote. So um, is there a motion for those meeting records? Meeting record for November 1st. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Mary. Um, any questions or comments on that? All right, with that, I will call that. Um, question. <coughs> Let me remind who was there. I think I. Oh, yeah, sure. No problem. Um, so it, for this vote, it will be Goja, Claude, Heidi, Rachel, and myself. This is November 1st. November 15th. Oh, shoot. I took them out of order. My bad. I did. I was speaking in November fifteenth, so let's do that one first, since I already the oh, motion. And the motion second was on the. You meant it for November first. Okay. I said I spoke out of turn then. Okay. Motion and second to approve the meeting records for November first. Present was Caitlin, Mary, Melissa, who was not here, so she's excused as well. Then, so we have four absences: Goja Kung, Angel, and Sarah Course. Um, she's not. She's absent as well. So we only have four again. Oh, okay. So we don't have quorum again for November 1st, I don't think. Okay. 
with that, we will table that unless anyone objects. Um, and we'll vote on that at our next meeting. Apologies all. Um, okay, now meeting records for Wednesday, November 15th. Uh, is there a motion and a second? So I'll move to approve the meeting record for November, November 15th, 2023. Second it. Thank you. Um, all right, with that, I'll call those for who are present. Goja? Aye. Claude? Aye. Heidi? Aye. Rachel? Aye. I vote aye as well. So the meeting records from November 15th are approved. Thank you very much. All right, then at this point we will, uh, I'll call for any disclosures or recusals. Uh, do any planning board members have any items for disclosure or recusal today? All right, thank you so much. Um, we do not have any consent agenda items, so we will move to our regular agenda. Uh, and I will go ahead and open the public hearing. Um, the typical process we use is we open our public hearing, do a staff presentation, um, and then public testimony, and then any questions from the board. Uh, so with that, um, uh, I will open the hearing for the Near Northwest Area Plan Neighborhood Planning Initiative. Um, and who from staff is presenting on this one? Great. Song, thank you so much. Good afternoon, planning board. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Sung Han, senior city planner and manager for the Near Northwest Area Plan. Um, I'll be presenting today, but we have a pretty big team here, um, and they might chime in kind of uh, when we get to uh, any questions. So we have Fernando Vood, uh, Will Prince, Scott Robinson, Portland Heiser, and from our consultant team, uh, Brad Siegel will be there. So thanks for joining. So for today's agenda, uh, wanted to provide a quick process update of where we've been so far at a high level um, since our September um, info item with you guys, um, and then to go over some of the planned content uh, within the Near Northwest Area Plan and any updates, uh, some of the major, uh, some of the key updates we've made based on the recent uh, community input we've gathered for the last several months. Um, and from there, uh, we'll go over the planning board review uh, criteria. So just a quick update on the process. Again, uh, the last time we spoke with you uh, was on September 6th uh, for our info item. And since then, we've had two rounds of public review. Um, so the first review draft was available kind of in, in uh, late June, and that was available for a couple months uh, for review and comment. Um, and then we took that month in uh, September to review, uh, review and refine the draft. And a second review draft was available for review in October, and that was available again for uh, public review and comment for uh, for a month or so. So here's the brief um, overview of the plan. Um, again, just a reminder of the four different neighborhoods within the Near Northwest Area Plan. Uh, they include starting from uh, the northern end, Chaffee Park, Sunnyside Highland, and Jefferson Park. Um, and this is represented by Amanda uh, Councilwoman Sandoval. Um, District 1. Um, so here again are the key components of the plan itself um, as outlined in the table of contents. We have the intro, 
uh, land use and built form, uh, housing economy, mobility, quality of life infrastructure, um, and the different neighborhood sections uh, for the plan, and then implementation. So again, uh, we'll go through kind of each section and talk about the content at a high level and some of the updates we've made in the last few months. All right, um, so for the intro, we have um, some of the key themes from the executive summary. Um, and these include uh, from the top, supporting uh, wealth building and access to housing to ensure uh, a variety of affordable housing options within the neighborhood. Uh, the second is uh, nurturing great places. So how do we preserve and celebrate the history and culture of the neighborhoods uh, while making sure that new places are well-designed and in line with the character of the neighborhood? Um, and the third, growing business and jobs. Um, how do we attract new goods and services in neighborhoods? Um, and also, how do we connect people to different jobs and educational opportunities in the neighborhood? Uh, the fourth, um, improving multimodal options and safety. So how do we make it more safe and convenient for people to um, get around their neighborhoods? Um, and lastly, to how do we support the health and well-being uh, to make sure everyone ha have, has access to the resources they need um, to feel safe and also be part of the community. So some of the updates we made in the intro um, is we developed a new executive summary map that tries to map and connect the different recommendations across the plan topics that I just uh, discussed with you, um, and that's found in the intro. Um, we also included new background information on some of the engagement um, statistics um, that I'll show you and go over towards the end of the presentation. Um, and we also made some, uh, some key updates to uh, the area history for just uh, more accuracy and clarity. And uh, moving on to uh, land use and build form. Um, so again, this is the first section of the plan. Um, and so the land use and built form helps define the vision for our built environment. So things related to land use, um, urban design, preservation, and housing. Um, and some of the key takeaways um, and kind of main recommendations from the plan is now how do we uh, promote thoughtful growth? What we have heard from the community is to promote higher density growth uh, near transit and major corridors to support transit investments. Uh, and allowing for more moderate intensity interior to the neighborhood in those mixed-use areas. Um, the second, within those mixed-use areas where, where a lot of goods and services are provided uh, to really elevate the design of not just the buildings, but also the public realm uh, so that they all can work together. And the third, uh, again, uh, the importance of nurturing great places is how do we celebrate and preserve uh, the neighborhood. So we have a lot of recommendations to promote adaptive reuse, um, and considerations for um, potentially historic areas within the neighborhood uh, that will help preserve um, the past of the neighborhood. So uh, another key focus of the land use and build form is about how do we increase housing options um, along major corridors such as Federal and 38th, uh, but also interior to the neighborhoods. Uh, so the goal with the goal in mind of promoting preservation um, and, affordability, and affordability, and while allowing for new forms of missing middle housing, how do we promote that so that it's a compatible in scale um, where those are promoted <clears throat> in the plan? So some of the key updates uh, we've made with the community input and from planning board uh, the last couple of few months is um, some updates to the missing middle housing strategies. Uh, 
particularly to better connect some of the housing policies we have in the plan about stabilizing residents that are at risk of displacement, promoting home ownership opportunities and wealth building. Um, um, another key update is uh, just looking at uh, additional incentives to promote affordabilities. Uh, I think, for example, density incentives, um, and also not just focusing on the zoning code, but also evaluating and addressing potential barriers within the building code itself. So really just building on some of the strategies uh, that we had um, from the first draft. Um, other refinements uh, that we've made to the land use and built form section um, were made to help better advance the community vision that's articulated at the beginning of the section and also address some of the unique neighbor, neighborhood opportunities that exist uh, for some of these neighborhoods. Um, so an example would be encouraging more sustainable building practices in mixed use areas. That's something we've heard that needs to be better reflected in the plan. Uh, so that's been added to our one of our area-wide policies. Uh, the, the second bullet is, um, again, more speaking to the neighborhood opportunities. Uh, we included a, a, a new policy specifically for 44th Avenue and Sunnyside to really connect a lot of the plan recommendations together uh, for active uses, uh, better streetscapes, and so on. So um, those are some of the refinements we've made uh, for the land use and build form section the past couple of months. For housing and economy, um, some of the key recommendations include um, affordable housing, again, going back to the principle of how do we support wealth building, uh, prevent displacement, increase the development of new affordable housing opportunities, um, ensuring a network of uh, social services that can serve our more vulnerable populations, um, supporting local businesses through a variety of means, um, including funding and helping create more capacity and organization among the different commercial uh, nodes and districts that exist in the neighborhood. And uh, again, going back to jobs of supporting job growth and uh, working with community partners to uh, make sure those opportunities are connected with residents. So some of the updates we've made, um, again, building off our theme, were just refinements to better advance the community vision and consider additional strategies to help advance uh, a lot of the goals that we described in the executive summary. Uh, so some of the refinements include supporting small local landlords to maintain buildings without creating displacement. Um, so there, uh, we've heard that there are a number of local small uh, landlords um, uh, that want to provide housing for residents, uh, but also need the resources to help maintain uh, those naturally occurring affordable housing that does exist. Um, and then um, another uh, refinement is just assessing barriers within the development review process for small scale affordable housing. So for example, what we've heard was potentially looking at waiving the site development plan process uh, for potentially three to four units, so allowing more flexibility for uh, um, uh, and streamlining the process for smaller uh, affordable units. For mobility, um, uh, about, again, going back to the concept of how do we make it safer to uh, get around the neighborhood, um, we identify uh, many corridor improvements to uh, think about uh, along our busier, wider streets. How do we provi uh, prioritize uh, safe multimodal transportation options for uh, residents um, and visitors to the area? Um, with bikeways and trails, we've heard uh, that to be a pretty big importance for the neighborhood. So how do we create a network of safe, comfortable spaces uh, designed for bicyclists um, and all types of users? Um, and traffic calming and pedestrian safety, again, along those busy corridors, um, looking at different improvements um, at key intersections and around 
uh, schools to really help slow down the traffic uh, to make it easier to cross, uh, meet easier to travel along these streets. Um, and this is just a summary of the mobility opportunity. So again, the balanced corridors is talking more about the wider uh, right away in streets that exist in the neighborhood and, and trying to prioritize uh, pedestrian improvements along them. Um, uh, we had this idea of an urban trail system, a connectivity loop that integrates uh, bicycle facilities, but also water quality and tree canopy opportunities to make it easier and safer uh, to move around the neighborhood. Um, share street opportunities in uh, at key locations, um, including uh, Plant Street, where there's an opportunity to think about how to really prioritize pedestrians within the right of way. Um, so thinking about uh, places like the recent improvement that's going to go in at 25th Avenue in Jefferson Park, potentially curbless streets, um, and just more pedestrian amenities. Um, and there are several barriers within the neighborhood, including I-70, I-25, the railroad track. So looking at new opportunities for pet bike crossings um, is a key opportunity that um, we've identified through this process. Um, and another one is uh, mobility hubs and um, bus rapid transit investments along our major corridors, making sure that the busier bus stops have more enhanced uh, services and amenities for riders. So some of the um, updates we've made uh, were to, uh, were by identifying additional areas for improvements um, and helping address, again, some of the unique neighborhood opportunities that exist. So um, within uh, several recommendations, we have identified additional intersections or gaps to look at for pedestrian and bicycle safety improvements, um, identifying other key streets to look at for safety improvements and traffic calming. And third, uh, going back to this idea of just addressing more neighborhood-specific opportunities. Uh, some of those examples include um, in Chaffee Park, uh, there's a Clear Creek Trail uh, just further north of there. So we heard a desire to perhaps partner with Adams County to think about how to provide better connections to that trail system. Um, there's a undeveloped right-of-way uh, right that's owned by CDOT along 48th Avenue and Chaffee Park as well. So how do we think about partnering with them to better utilize that space for community benefit uses such as a community garden and such. And uh, lastly, the quality of life section. Um, again, uh, how do we think about community, improve, uh, community building and improving the national environment and public health? Um, so in the plan, we talk a lot about how we want to support initiatives to, uh, that will help build and uh, preserve the culture and sense of belonging for the neighborhoods, um, parks, and green infrastructure. Where are, How do we want to enhance our park space, new opportunities for park space, and ways to integrate infrastructure to treat water uh, before it flows into the South Platte River. Um, and food access particularly has been a, uh, uh, a key topic and, and issue that uh, Chaffee Park residents always raises. So how do we increase food access through a variety of ways um, and, um, to, and including a recruitment and support for smaller existing um, healthy affordable food sources. And again, uh, these are again just some bullets of uh, from our key opportunity maps, uh, looking at new park space, uh, parks to prioritize for future future visioning efforts. So bigger parks uh, where we've heard the desire for more amenities and more engagement to think about what bigger improvements could go along there. Um, expansion of existing rec centers. Um, so Aslan Rec Center is one particular that gets brought up pretty frequently about really expanding the space for future current residents. 
um, parkway extensions. So in Berkeley, there's a historic parkway on 46th Avenue and how do we carry a similar type of improvement into the neighborhood of Sunnyside as well. And um, so some of the key updates we made to the quality of life section um, again, to better advance the community vision and address some of the unique neighborhood opportunities uh, includes um, a new policy specific to the South Platte River. Um, in the previous draft, um, we addressed the South Platte River um, in different sections, but we created a new policy to really tie everything together to talk about improvements to the uh, ecology um, and improving the quality of development near the river. Um, the second bullet point is about leveraging a lot of the local expertise um, for uh, future historic context studies. So there are a lot of active residents that have a lot of knowledge and history or understanding of the history of the neighborhoods. Um, we actually have, I think, Rebecca Hunt uh, on the line who's going to speak later today, and she's very knowledgeable. So just really uh, kind of looking to the resources we have in the neighborhood in the future. Um, and then also just more refined guidance for new park spaces in key areas. I think this was a a comment from planning board as well um, for kind of providing more guidance on the park improvement in Northeast Sunnyside and the Diamond Hill property in Jefferson Park to help guide those investments in the future. So um, second to last uh, section is the neighborhood section itself. Um, so again, at the very front or I guess the second page, uh, second uh, spread of the neighborhood section, it includes a neighborhood key opportunities map. Uh, so this is intended to help summarize some of the key recommendations for each neighborhood. And we also have focus areas. Uh, so places within the neighborhood that requires an additional uh, attention or level of detail, um, and also has a luster's drawings to showcase how the different plan recommendations across the different, uh, across the four sections of land use, uh, mobility, quality of life, common housing come together to help advance that vision. So some of the key updates we made in the neighborhood uh, section is um, as part of our recent outreach and uh, for the draft plan, we talked about um, what, which kind of recommendations would you like to prioritize for your neighborhood? So based on that new information, we update the key opportunities uh, spread for each neighborhood to kind of talk a little bit more about um, what, the, what the community would like to prioritize moving forward. Um, and also, and, and I've already covered a lot of these bullets in the past few slides, but updates to address more neighborhood specific topics. So I think I talked about having a more specific vision for 44th Avenue um, that ties in a lot of the plan recommendations together, um, better prioritizing jobs in the proposed innovation flex future place in Northeast Sunnyside. Uh, so just making it clear that we would uh, want kind of light industrial um, and jobs to be the primary use and function um, in those areas um, and uh, for Jefferson Park, improving 25th Avenue to connect uh, two mixed use centers together. So closer to 25th and Federal, um, there's um, the streetcar note that uh, uh, residents really enjoy. And then on the other end of 25th Avenue, there's a large redevelopment opportunity uh, there. So uh, to be able to really improve that corridor to uh, strengthen that connection between those two uh, mixed use centers. For implementation, um, uh, like I mentioned before, as part of this draft plan phase, we wanted to understand priorities a little bit better based on what the plan was recommending. Uh, so based uh, with that new information, uh, we updated the implementation section um, with uh, 
uh, some, uh, some of the bigger takeaways we've learned, uh, categorizing them under the three buckets of implementation that we've organized, um, including regulatory uh, changes, um, public investments, and partnerships. So moving on to the planning board review criteria. Um, so again, when evaluating plans to be adopted, um, we look at the comprehensive plan 2040 um, as part of Denver uh, planning board and city council review. Um, and those three criteria includes uh, inclusive community process was used to develop the plan. The second, the plan is consistent with the vision and goals and strategies of comp plan 2040. And the third, that it demonstrates a long-term view. So I'll go through uh, three of those criteria and um, on our recommendations. Where's the answer? So it, for in, the inclusive community process, uh, again, just a quick update on the draft plan engagement itself. Uh, so basically between June, uh, end of June till now, uh, we, uh, through our kind of big open house, we um, hosted at the end of June and also attending uh, many uh, community events and hosting our own pop-ups. Uh, we've had uh, 500 plus interactions, uh, in-person interactions with folks, um, attended about 18 meeting, community meetings and pop-ups um, and with the draft plan and the number of people who have participated in our surveys, we've had about 260 respondents. Um, and in terms of the views of the draft plan itself, we got uh, a little over 5,000 views on the draft plan page. And in total, with uh, the first and second public review draft, we received about 850 individual comments. <clears throat> um, and um, I think last time I was here in September, um, we talked about some of the promotoral work uh, we did earlier in the process. So again, um, working with uh, trusted uh, uh, individuals and partners within the community to build relationships and help engage uh, those that are um, traditionally just less involved in our planning processes. So uh, through the work of the promoteras, they were able to get um, about 121 res uh, respondents for our surveys. Uh, they focused on uh, uh, canvassing uh, Chaffee Park and East Sunnyside um, and visited areas around schools and supermarkets where people uh, really just kind of hang out, shop and play. Um, and they also attended uh, a few events with us uh, to really kind of focus on additional outreach outside of or just kind of tables that we host. Um, and some of the feedbacks we, uh, feedback we heard was, again, just what we've heard you know, throughout the process about the importance of affordable, affordable housing, um, having access to good paying jobs, supporting a lot of the businesses that they can identify um, and within their neighborhoods. Um, and when we um, reviewed a lot of the recommendations with them, um, they had strong support for all, uh, for all the recommendations as well. <clears throat> so these are, again, just a few pictures from our engagement um, the last couple of years. Um, you know, the top left is a community workshop uh, at CEC College. Uh, the top right is a uh, focus group we did with the quick residents. Um, and just a number of different meetings and pop-ups we attended. So um, uh, with, uh, again, with traditional engagement, um, and this is how we define traditional engagement, it's just, are just the meetings that we hosted um, as a city. Uh, we've had a lot of in-person and virtual open houses, uh, virtual roundtable discussions, particularly um, maybe a year and a half ago when we were still getting out of COVID. Um, online surveys. Um, we included a resource fair as part of our 
kind of a, a large uh, commute workshop we did um, as part of the draft plan release um, and held uh, several office hours. So with that, um, in total, we had about 28 community workshops, uh, 27 steering committee meetings, um, over 2,300 interactions uh, with folks from the neighborhoods, um, over 2,100 surveys filled out, uh, 1,300 email subscribers, um, numerous um, kind of social media engagement. And we also did uh, two rounds of flyers and mailers the first time, um, uh, thanks to the resources of Council District 1 and, and uh, Councilman Sandoval, uh, we were able to flyer uh, kind of each house uh, or each store in the neighborhood. Um, and then we're also able to do a uh, more door-to-door -door, uh, mailer um, as part of the draft plan release. Uh, so for focus engagement, I guess um, we already described the promotoral model to really target um, people that are, have been less involved in uh, past planning processes. But along with that, we've had a lot of focus groups um, kind of outreach to youth and community events and pop-ups. So again, in total, um, about 74 community events and pop-ups, 14 focus groups, uh, numerous intercept surveys, um, and just um, working again with the promotoral um, with the, out in the community. So with that, um, we find that the near Northwest area plan was developed through an inclusive community process. And moving on to uh, plan consistency, again, looking at uh, the consistency with comprehensive plan 2040 and the six elements that are described. Um, those are listed on the slide here, along with the goals and number of strategies that we find to be consistent with. Um, in total, I think there are close to 50-ish uh, goals that we believe um, are consistent with our plan. And along with that, also just looking at consistency with Blueprint Denver um, across uh, the land use and built form, mobility and quality of life infrastructure, um, I think we also found about uh, close to uh, a little over 40 policies that we found to be consistent with, along with um, a lot of strategies that are underneath those policies. Uh, so our finding is that the near Northwest area plan is consistent with comprehensive plan 2040 and blueprint Denver. And with the long-term view, um, it does have, the plan does describe a 2040 planning horizon um, and again, as I described to you um, in the earlier agenda items that establishes a vision and also accompanying goals and policies to, uh, for uh, land use and build form, quality of life improvements, mobility and housing and economy. Um, it also includes an aspirational vision uh, with an implementation strategy that will take uh, many years to achieve. So with that, uh, we find the near Northwest area plan has an appropriate uh, long-term perspective. Um, and this, uh, the staff recommendation is to approve um, the near Northwest area plan with the condition the document be edited for clarity and correctness. And the remaining process um, here that we have, uh, we will be going to land use and transportation infrastructure committee, Ludi, on December 19th, uh, with city council first reading on January 8th, uh, followed by the council public hearing on January 22nd. Um, and that is uh, the end of my presentation. So thank you, everybody. Thank you so very much. Um, so for the record, I'll uh, have it show that Melissa Mejia is also present. Um, and Councilwoman Sandoval, welcome. Um, before we open up for public comment, do you want to say a few words at, at all? Sure. Should I go there? Yes, please. Your guys' room is different. I'm like, wow. I know. We're on your <laughs> <laughs> Reoriented. Yeah, we'll see. 
changed after COVID. Engagement has changed after COVID. And it's taken peeling back the layer of the onion to actually get a different type of community response and different type of community engagement. Um, so what I always think about when I'm working on these plans is how it lays the foundation for the future um, of the next seven generations of Northsiders. And I really do believe that this plan uh, will help stop and help prevent displacement and improve the quality of life. It also reflects on the aspirations and concerns shared by businesses, residents, nonprofits, and RNOs throughout the process. And then it also envisions future growth that benefits and enhances surrounding communities. And the plan will create attainable housing. I don't like to use that word affordable because I think it just it has too many stigmas around there. It will hopefully create attainable housing along transit corridors that um, complement existing neighborhoods. The, the unique thing about these neighborhoods, if you all don't know, is Highland was its own town and Denver annexed Highland. And so we have different type of neighborhoods that had different type of zoning codes before the zoning code exists. Um, and also in Northwest Denver, we had redlining. We had major redlining, and my mom worked for a nonprofit that combated redlining. And so you, we have a lot of um, residual effects of racism baked into my neighborhood. And as gentrification has happened, rampant gentrification, it has changed. And so I'm hoping that this plan will bring different new parks into Sunnyside that hasn't haven't seen new parks in a long time could hopefully, with the new issuance of a bond, bring a rec center to Zunai Park that actually doesn't have any services over there. And I have, I like dream big. I'm like, what would it look like to have a rec center and a library at Zunai Park, a city facility that could actually be used for all Northwest Denver that Subtrafi Park is in is um, uh, Goo Desert. How could we make sure that we're keeping the fabric of Highland intact along the old commercial corridors that the streetcars notes that used to go on and keep those, um, all of us shopping locally. And I hope that this plan does that, including leveraging legacy businesses, business. So we have to leverage other um, agencies in the city to make sure we accomplish this plan. I feel like a lot of this work always just falls on CPD and all of you. And so I wanna make sure that we're using this plan to leverage all of our different city agencies to get this plan um, accomplished. And I'm just very proud to support the vision of the near Northwest neighbor, neighborhood plan and hope to be here in the next four years because this is just the beginning, the tip of the iceberg the hard part is the implementation. And so that's my goal and commitment to all of you here is that I will be standing alongside my um, neighborhood to really, really improve um, and make sure that we Im Im implement. There's no, it, there, it doesn't matter if, the, if you have a plan, if it just sits on, sits on the shelf. 
I want this plan to be implemented. So I'm grateful to the residents. I'd like to give a shout out to all the businesses along Sunnyside. Platt Street, I just left a meeting. They're going through a whole rebranding because this plan kicked off in the neighbor Highland neighborhood and started a whole Platt branding, rebranding. So we've been working on that. So Platt Street, all the registered neighborhood organizations, Sunnyside, Chaffee Park, um, Je Jefferson Park, all the nonprofits, Denver Housing Authority, Bienvenidos, um, the two administrations, Mayor Hancock and Mayor Johnston. And then we have lots of people from CPD, Sung, thank you so much, Cortland, Fernando, Scott, Will. And then I had Libby, who used to be part of the plan, and I also had Liz. So this plan's also gone through three different planners as we've gone through um, different variations. I'd like to thank Brad and Puma, and he hired my staff, Naomi. So I'm, <laughs> I love Naomi. She was in my staff and he, he got her after she left. And most importantly, my staff. A councilwoman or a council person is only as good as their staff. I can't do this without my staff. Melissa Horn, who's in the crowd, has been steadfast. Prior to that, it was Naomi. Um, Gina on my staff who runs my office and manages my crazy, you guys don't even wanna see my hectic schedule and Andrew and um, Alessandra, I honestly could never do any of this work if it wasn't for my amazing staff that I have. I'm, I'm so honored to have great staff. And with that, I just ask that you approve this so that it could go on to the next to city council for adoption coming up. I think it, it's time to have this plan adopted. Thank you. Thank you so much, Councilwoman. Thank you, Sung, for your presentation. Um, with that, we will go ahead and open public comment. Um, just to remind the public, you each have three minutes. Please state your name and address when you begin. Um, I think um, we have some people online. Is there anyone here in person as well? Nobody in person. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. Okay, so why don't we start with our Zoom? Um, we have Nita Gonzalez on Zoom. We're signed up on Zoom. Nita is gone. All right. Uh, Mike Blake on Zoom. Hi. Can you hear me? We can. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. My name is uh, Michael Blake, and I live in the Jefferson Park neighborhood at uh, 2650 uh, Front View Crescent Drive. And I've uh, lived here uh, since November of 2010 and uh, plan to retire here. But uh, today I'm here as a member of the Near Northwest Steering Committee, and I just wanted to express my strong support for the plan submitted by CPD. Um, our neighborhood had strong representation from Chaffee Park, Sunnyside, Highland, and Jefferson Park. And we're a diverse group of residents, business owners, nonprofits, and neighborhood associations. And we are extremely grateful that we were uh, um, chosen to be among the earliest participants in the neighborhood planning initiative. Um, as you know, Denver's Northside has a rich history reflecting the diversity of the city. And you probably couldn't find four more distinct neighborhoods in Denver to work together on one, uh, one plan. But this uh, process started back in July of 21 and we concluded last month. So um, we participated in regular monthly meetings for more than two years 
as well as regular ad hoc meetings for um, specific topics that needed a little bit more discussion. And just wanted to give a shout out to CPD staff. Um, they have really been amazing throughout this two and a half year process. They uh, occasionally had to moderate some spirited conversations between um, steering committee members, but they were always really willing to lend an ear or spend a few minutes or sometimes even hours entertaining sidebar discussions with the group. So um, thanks so much to them for facilitating this process. But uh, we're excited to move this vision forward and um, through the processes of the plan adoption and implementation ahead of us. So uh, hope that uh, the uh, planning board will be approving the plan today. And thanks for your time. Thank you, Mr. Blake. And thanks for your involvement in the NPI process. Um, next signed up online, we have Richard Himmelstein. Um, go ahead and state your name and address for the record and uh, you have three minutes. Richard, can you hear us? Oh, now he's gone. We'll come back around to Richard. Um, next, uh, signed up on Zoom, we have Rebecca Hunt. Uh, Rebecca, you have three minutes. Okay, oops, sorry. Um, I'm trying to unmute. You're good, we can hear you. Okay, good. Um, I'm Rebecca Hunt, a retired history professor, originally from CU Denver and a Denver historian lived in the neighborhood at 2502 West 32nd Avenue since October of 1993. Um, I came on the steering committee as, I think, maybe the voice of history. I think uh, Sung mentioned that. Um, one of the things that our four neighborhoods have uh, in common, they're diverse, as Mike said, but what we have in common is we have all been home to uh, distinct ethnic groups, Irish, Italians, uh, uh, Hispano, uh, Mexicano, Latinos, and uh, we're also in some areas one of the oldest uh, sections of Denver with housing dating back to the 1860s and 1870s. Um, we have both in Highland and in Sunnyside amazing uh, extant uh, streetcar corridors, including on 44th and on, on 32nd. We also have one of Denver's oldest national historic districts, the Scottish Highlands slash Highland Park District, which, which I live in, and across the street, the Potter Highland District. Um, one of my concerns was being able to meet all of the quality of life, transit uh, needs, uh, affordable housing needs, attainable housing needs, um, and still preserve our distinct character. And I have to say that the, the staff and the consultants and our committee and our community went way beyond my expectations in coming up with a plan that would do all of that. Uh, we have a chance to show that Denver really is an outstanding city because of how we preserve all aspects of quality of life in our neighborhoods. Done. 
Okay, I think I think maybe your time was up. Thank you so much for uh, being here to testify. Um, I don't see Richard Himmelstein back on. Is there anyone else on? Oh, there he is. <laughs> um, uh, Richard Himmelstein, are you able to unmute and speak? Okay, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Go ahead and uh, state your name and address, and you have three minutes. Okay. My, my name is Richard Himmelstein. I apologize that I'm having issues with my uh, internet connection, so I'm afraid if I turn on my camera, I might lose you guys again. Um, my my house is at is at uh, 4701 West Byron Place in um, in Denver, and I do own property in the area that that this uh, near Northwest area plan is is uh, being worked on. And I was involved and watched the process closely. I think the planners did an incredible job um, with the near Northwest area plan. I look forward to it to being implemented. I just want to thank everyone. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, that's it for who we have signed up online. But is there anyone else attending online that would like to speak? If you, if you are, would you please raise your hand? Uh, anybody else here in person? Last call. Wonderful. All right. With that, I will go ahead and open it up to the planning board for questions of staff or anyone that uh, that spoke. Rachel. Um, sorry, looking at my notes. Um, I I just had a question. I appreciated well first question is on the um height maps um and this is sort of a comment slash question i think heights are somewhere that that um neighbors tend to and and us in planning board hear a lot about about um during rezonings and and so comment was i think that the height maps and the incentive height maps could be more legible in terms of which streets um, align with which maps. And I know sometimes that goes into the GIS, like you can just click the actual map and zoom in, but one, that was one comment. But the other comment was just with regard to the heights um, over in, and I'm trying to go back to that page, <clears throat> the Fox Park area. For some reason, I thought the heights were, the heights were higher, taller in that part of the city. So just had a question around what the, base heights versus a set of incentive heights over in Fox Park are. And just to clarify, do you mean the, the 41st and Inca station area? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so I think the recommendation um, is um, kind of in those dark blue areas is a base height of eight stories and uh, with incentive 12. Um, and that recommendation uh, was uh, carrying forward some of the previous recommendations from the 41st and Fox area plan. Uh, that identified a range of building height recommendations along there. Um, so as early on in the process, uh, we actually looked at kind of the Northeast Sunnyside from a land use perspective and kind of talked with the community about um, kind of different options based on what the community would like to see. And, and we heard that um, the kind of uh, the density that was a, uh, a proposed in, in that 41st and Fox and area station uh, was consistent with the type of kind of intensity people would like to see in that area. Um, that makes sense. And then uh, my next question, I, I really appreciate, you know, and uh, Councilwoman Sandoval brought this up um, 
you know, that a plan is only as useful as its implementation. And um, I, I appreciated that, I think, and maybe other plans that we've seen have an implementation section, but that seems like something that may be fairly new. Um, and I, I appreciated that that was there. My question is, it seems like it could be built out even a little bit more robust there. And so is there any thoughts toward you know, specifically like this plan has one of the more comprehensive um, transportation mobility infrastructure um, detail in it. And it seems to me like um, Dottie could be named here. Um, historic preservation is named uh, as a, a, a priority of the document. Um, partnership with entities like Historic Denver um, as a tool um, just as I think through, if I'm a community member and I'm and I'm wondering how to um, effectuate implementation of a plan I worked on, um, was there any thought put into sort of here are the the internal city entities, whether that's Dito or Dottie or Parks, um, and here are some external entities. Um, Adams County was mentioned, CDOT, uh, to help sort of guide the community if I'm referencing this document on how I would advocate for implementation of the plan. Was there any thought in, of including that in the implementation section? Yeah, so typically um, kind of towards the end of the process and soon after adoption, uh, we do have a, a matrix we're developing right now that'll serve as an appendix that will uh, kind of be more of a living document that outlines the policies and strategies and uh, to your point about the the partners um, that would need to be involved from uh, from leading the project or supporting the project and the time frame and kind of priority. So we, we are working on that um, and that will continue to be a, a living document that will eventually post on the website. And as we I believe as we're building out our implementation team, um, we're also just trying to think about a better kind of presence online on how to communicate that information as well. Awesome. That's really great. And I think will be a, a really useful tool for um, community members and businesses and everybody else. Um, last question, and this is something that I know Planning Board has raised before, was around this idea, this appreciation for measurable goals, but this question around what those measurable goals are and whether those are actually measuring the thing we think they're measuring. And so I, I noticed that um, uh, reducing the number of cost burdened households is one of the measurable goals. Um, and I know there's been pushback in the past on, you know, is that just because everyone who is cost burdened was displaced from that neighborhood? And, and just a, a little bit of a pushback from planning board. So the question, I guess, is whether or not CPD is looking at, and that's the one metric that, that came to me in particular, because it's on the next page, it talks about how the community was 71% um, Latinx to 35% in a 10-year period, while at the same time celebrating that we have fewer cost-burdened households. And so those seem like two um, contradictory measures to me. And so are, is CPD looking at, at um, how we might better um, track displacement as it relates to like are we lifting households up or are we just displacing those cost burdened households yeah so to your point yeah the measurable goals are intended to monitor progress and obviously we don't want to monitor and 
can be convey information in a way if it's actually if we're not actually accomplishing that. Um, Scott, I don't know if maybe as part of the presentation where if you want to speak to Edward about Hi, Scott Robinson, uh, principal planner with Community Planning and Development. Um, good question. Uh, and we will be back in two weeks to give you an update on the API evaluation. <laughs> we can talk more about that then. Uh, yes, as part of both the blueprint update that will be going on next year and the updates to the API process, uh, we are looking at the measurable goals of trying to be more consistent uh, between blueprint and the API plans and across API plans so we have the right things that are actually tracking um, the impacts of the plans and, and are useful to us. So yes, that's a great point, and we will be looking at that. Awesome. Thank you. And then last question uh, for me is um, something else that we've discussed in the past is, you know, this tension between level of detail um, versus digestibility for an individual community member. And um, so I just, the question is just around how CPD is thinking about it. Like this, is, you know, it's 234 pages, super, super dense with a lot of re really great content. Um, and if I'm like an average person, 234 pages of dense content is a lot to try and get my head around what's um, the future plan for my community. So I want to just hear uh, from CPD how you all think about that tension or that balance. Yeah, I could speak to more of the how we try to address what the near and northwest area plan and, and Scott could address at a program level. Um, I, I think what we learned and what we try to focus on was the, the neighborhood key opportunities map and those bullets. Um, so I think those were most useful in terms of conveying vision and maybe even strategy at a high level about what we want to accomplish. And um, so we found that to be actually pretty successful in terms of how we convey information and talk to residents at pop-ups with the, the board and graphics laid out that way. Um, so I think as part of the draft plan, um, the key opportunities map do look a little bit different from um, our previous plan. So we just try to focus a little bit more on that, knowing that if you live in Sunnyside and you might have maybe just five minutes to look at um, your neighborhood, at least that page is front and center to help summarize that information. Doing a great job of anticipating all this stuff. is something we're thinking about. Um, uh, and so as a preview of, of two weeks from now, um, one of the things we're going to try to do is, is keep the plans more outcome focused so we don't have that density of, of detail in the plan document itself. And it's something that the community members can come and read and understand what the future of their neighborhood will be like. Uh, but we don't necessarily want to lose all that information that ties back into your first point about implementation. It's really valuable for us to have that. So we're going to have a uh, implementation plan appendix uh, mm -hmm. with more detail than the Tom was mentioning earlier uh, that'll capture all of that detail uh, and help us and uh, you and, and the other departments and agencies uh, move the recommendations forward. Great. Thanks so much. That's it for me. Thanks very much, Rachel. Angel? Yes. Um, uh, well, first off, I want to congratulate you guys on another um, thorough neighborhood plan. It looks like a lot of thorough um, community engagement as well. Um, and my uh, question is is around the prioritization and thank you all. It sounds like you're taking the um, 
recommendations or suggestions to begin to maybe prioritize implementation. I'm just curious about the process to arrive at the priorities and what are the, the next iteration of uh, prioritization? How does that look? How do you tier the projects? Yeah, I could speak to maybe how we landed on um, kind of the different ideas we threw in the implementation section. So um, as part of the draft plan, uh, we had a lot of the new recommendations and goals already identified. And, um, and from our last round of engagement in phase three, people, you know, 90, I believe 90% or a little bit more agreed that was a good direction to move forward with. Um, so as part of our more recent outreach, um, you know, the five goals I showed you in the executive summary, uh, we asked uh, people to choose their top two of what is most important. Um, is it access to housing? Is it, um, you know, nurturing great places? Um, so that kind of helped us understand area-wide what the priorities were and really the top priority again when you guys was housing. Um, so, um, so that kind of helped us uh, shape uh, the implementation just with that lens of how are we thinking about housing um, and speaking to housing in that section. Um, but we also um, asked uh, by neighborhood, you know, these again are some of the seven to nine key opportunities uh, specific to your neighborhood, you know, which two or three are most important to you. Um, and with that information, we're also able to kind of update that uh, the key opportunities page uh, with that additional layer of information and helped us also craft the implementation section as well. And, and I'm just, thank you for that. I'm just curious about the specificity. Woo, you all know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. um, of the, like, are they asked about broad topics in terms of priorities or specific recommendations? Um, specific, if, you, if you're curious on the specifics of the key recommendations we asked for, it's outlined the, the key opportunities kind of for each neighborhood here in okay. the bubbles. So that's kind of, uh, that's generally what we ask about. Okay. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you for the presentation and all your work on this plan. I kind of want to continue on the theme of implementation, given how much concern uh, we have. Um, I wonder um, in future, or maybe as a follow-up, could you share those implementation um, matrix or um, uh, whatever the document, yeah. could you share it with us? Yeah, we could definitely, once it's uh, available online, it's um, easy to download, we'll, we can follow up with playing board definitely um, with that. Is there a reason why the document is not adopted as part of a plan that's in the appendix? Um, I believe the, the, the kind of rationale is that um, if we're thinking about a 20 year planning horizon, um, and with that, just a lot of outside forces and changes happen. So it gives the ability to think about maybe priorities differently five years from now. So it gives us a little bit more flexibility to adjust um, as needed. Yeah, so I understand the need for flexibility. My concern is that with flexibility comes lack of accountability. You know, like I've seen plans that had short-term goals that were like five-year goals and you know, 15 years have passed and, and none of these goals have been implemented. So how do we keep ourselves accountable? Right, and, and I think uh, you know some of these comments again are harder to speak just to the near northwest because it does sound more of a program level. Uh, but again, I think I think uh, based on what I know, what Scott's presenting to uh, plan board and city council, I think that's definitely 
um, part of the discussion as well. I just hope that we can continue to have this conversation because I think a lot of inequities in our communities come from lack of implementation and kind of setting the expectations in front of community for certain type of improvements um, that and that lack follow up. This is challenging for various reasons. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and go um, to the missing metal discussion. Uh, so I really appreciate you incorporating some of the comments we've made in the past about the building code barriers and the SDP process barriers and kind of possibly um, eliminating for the need for the SDP part process for smaller projects such as three or four <laughs> units. Um, where I continue to struggle is this um, language that talks about limiting overall size of building forms when it comes to missing metal because all the evidence that we see from communities that adopted missing metal actually points in a direction that not expanding um, building envelope really hinders development of these missing metal forms. So I think we're in a conflict with what, first of all, real data tells us, but also what market tells us about development of these housing options. So, and I know where it comes from. I know it's the Peter Park work and the students work and it's kind of academic work of developing these building forms. But I don't think that necessarily is consistent with what market tells us about uh, the developments. I wonder if you can comment on that. Yeah, I think a lot of it was uh, based on conversations we've been having with the community steering committee about, um, I guess one, um, you know, what I presented up front about compatibility. It's just this uh, idea that if we're actually opening up more opportunities for potential new housing types to be introduced, to just think about the overall scale. Um, and then two, I think um, we also were talking about just the size of kind of units and homes themselves, that if we were to think about allowing uh, potentially a triplex or such, um, that, you know, we want to avoid a situation where is um, kind of built uh, to a square footage that may not be attainable in the future. So looking at how do we think about adjustments of the home size itself to really actually promote um, uh, sizes that might promote more affordability or attainability in the future. And I, I understand and agree with this logic, but we also want to create housing that's um, diverse in size and fits different demographics. So we don't just have you know, for studios and the right. structure. So yeah. I just, I want to continue this conversation, especially in, in track the implementation and as it translates hopefully onto the zoning code updates and the building form updates that we actually uh, create uh, products that are realistic in the market yeah. and respond in a way that we hope that it's going to respond. Yeah, and if I can just add on to that, Goja, I mean, I think that that's almost more program-like comment as well to maybe pick up when we talk more broadly about MPI because a lot of the language around this middle is kind of being used in multiple plans, right? So, yeah. Any other comments? Mary? Yeah. More questions? Um, also building on, on that topic, I guess one thing that I was curious about, and I would just love to hear kind of the background thought towards is to that end of having design overlays that maybe limit the size to enhance the compat compatibility with what's already there. How does that 
how, how do we have a decision-making process when it's appropriate to have that design overlay versus allow the bulk plane penetration or the increased lot coverage that was talked about for the preservation work, along with looking at ways to um, encourage and support things like housing cooperatives, which might need a little bit bigger. Like, it seemed to me like in some places the plan was like, let's keep houses small so they stay affordable. And in other places it was saying, let's have these other opportunities to have, you know, expansions that can accommodate more. And I didn't quite get how it was going to be a clear, fair process of when we would use which of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in the map, we try to kind of um, place them in different types of buckets. So uh, we have some data on work we did to understand where are potentially historically uh, significant areas. Um, and in those areas, we talked about uh, kind of a preservation bonus policy about allowing addition and such. Um, and then other key opportunities where we thought, uh, where we heard the community would be um, uh, support for more kind of intense housing options along uh, transit corridors or carriage blocks uh, to think about uh, not necessary preservation uh, specifically, but also just uh, allowing new types of construction. Um, so really just using the data we have of where we think the significance exists and having the preservation bonus apply there. And then where we think uh, we heard we heard from the community that additional uh, more intensity is uh, desired or appropriate um, allowing for um, new kind of uh, afford for new missing middle housing types to be located there. So. And that, that uh, second piece, is that what defined the boundaries of the affordability priority area? So the affordability priority areas were identified it, uh, based on uh, the metrics we have in Blueprint Denver for vulnerability to displacement. Um, so that's based on, on household income. And then we also um, included not a large portion, but a, a little portion um, in Sunnyside that is adjacent to uh, the boundary of vulnerability displacement where we're seeing a lot of demolition today um, um, and potential displacement. So we included that as an area where we would want to really push the envelope for affordable housing as part of this conversation in the future. Okay. Um, and then uh, since you brought that up, uh, just for what it's worth, um, I know that Aspen recently put a limit on how many demolition permits they would offer each year, which I was thinking about that as I was reading your plan listening to the attempt to sort of limit the amount that was happening there, if that's helpful or useful for you guys. Great example, sir. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then just the last thing, just getting a little bit in the weeds, I'm trying to keep myself not super deep, um, but there was something in um, the H1 recommendation about um, exploring a citywide policy that limits the numbers of homes that could be purchased by institutional or corporate buyers for investment speculation. And um, that's something that I've, like a topic area that I focused on a lot. I would love to know if you guys have any precedence for that, because my understanding is there's no way to do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to say the most recent example was a community in like northern Dallas that actually looked at this policy, and Brad might have more updates <laughs> than I do on that. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I think it's an idea that we heard um, from our kind of focus discussion with community members and the steering committee, or yeah, steering committee, uh, to kind of just understand that in terms of market 
Um, and especially with first time home buyers, it's really difficult. Um, so just trying to look at other policies potentially um, at a citywide scale to address this. Um, and if, Brad, if you have other examples that you wanna. The only thing I'd add is 20 year plan, aspirational, and maybe we could, uh, maybe we could lay some new ground in Denver on that. That's it for me. Thank you, other questions, comments? Are we on comment portion? Or we oh, sorry, on? questions. <laughs> and then we'll close the hearing and you can comment ahead of any votes. Thanks, Rachel. Um, I had a couple of questions. Um, <clears throat> uh, it kind of goes to Mary's question uh, around kind of recommendations that are realistic. One of the uh, discussions is consider waiving site development plan for three to four units. Um, I, you know, I think that that's really interesting. Like, is that a realistic language to include in a plan? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> these are again uh, things we need to consider. Um, and from what I understand is um, right now for anything three or greater, it has to go through a site development review process and that involves a lot of coordination with other agencies, including DOTI, mm -hmm. parks. And what we've heard was that, you know, for smaller units that really aren't that big of a difference than duplex, can we think about additional flexibility there? So I think it's worth thinking about and, and considering. Um, and so that's kind of the reason why we updated uh, the language there. Thank you. The um, the other is, and I appreciate how the plan calls out, you know, I mean, a lot of historical plans, Sunnyside neighborhood plan, Highland neighborhood plan, Jefferson Park neighborhood plan, some, you know, Highland neighborhood plans, 1986, 41st to Fox, downtown area plan. Um, I'm just curious, and there may be some specific examples, but were there any, I mean, typically, especially for the more recent ones, I would think that this would essentially repeat and, and echo what you saw, for example, you, you spoke earlier to the 41st and Fox plan. Um, but uh, I'm just curious if there were any any big differences um, where the, the neighborhood has kind of since changed and there was a departure from some of those older plan recommendations. Um, not necessarily. I, I think surprisingly, a lot of the values have remained the same. I would say maybe the way we're thinking about Northeast Sunnyside industrial area, um, you know, even if you read back to the Sunnyside neighborhood plan, it talks about connecting residents to those jobs. Um, so I think um, a lot of values have remained the same. I think we're just providing a new framework and connection tools to a lot of our recommendations. Uh, but I don't know if uh, there were specific areas where there was a huge departure. And I, and I think because it's such an older plan, uh, you know, we started again with this process about what do you like and dislike. and and acknowledging uh, that, but where we did have more recent plans, like the, the 41st and Fox, um, that's, you know, I think maybe a little over 10 or yeah. less or so. Um, we try to be a little bit more careful about how we uh, carry forward the guidance there. Thanks. Um, this is just a nit, but take a look. There's a handful of, a lot of the pages don't have page numbers on them, so I'm gonna refer to page 46 of the PDF. Um, it's, there's documents here about requirements to include the commercial square footage that was replaced with the redevelopment. And I assume that that's, you know, kind of the concept is you have maybe a mixed use zone district that um, potentially allows all residential development. Is the concept that that would be through like maybe the, one of the overlays or how would that 
be implemented? And, and what is that really mean? I mean, is that really meaning that, I, I think unless it's an overlay, how do you require that? Require that? Um, yeah, so I think it would be um, something that would need to be considered as part of a text amendment um, that, you know, it's similar to, not exactly the same, but similar to the Tennyson um, overlay, uh, whether it's an overlay or just a text amendment, the intent is that, you know, if there's some existing commercial square footage that exists, and if it were to be replaced, um, how much of it or potentially all of it would we think about requiring again? And I think uh, when we're looking into other communities that potentially did this, um, I think Anchorage, Alaska actually has a similar policy baked into their zoning code uh, that provides a similar policy direction. Thanks. And then kind of a more holistic discussion, pages 47, 53, 52, or that kind of whole section talks about identifying historically significant or potentially significant both areas, commercial areas, individual properties. I think in reading it, my understanding was that um, obviously you've identified existing historic districts and existing landmark properties, but for those that were identified as potential was that based on Discover Denver and Noistros Historias, or is there other information going into that? I mean, I think that section is a more substantial section, and rightly so. This is a much more historic neighborhood and, and has so much history. Um, but I'm just curious how, you know, if, I, if I'm a property owner and I suddenly see myself identified as potentially historic and they didn't know about it, what does that mean to them, right? And how do we help, help them understand why they're now. Yeah, so for um, Discover Denver, there is um, a report that was done for Jefferson Park. Um, there's a draft report done for Sunnyside. Um, and then for the other areas that you see on the map that we created, um, we commissioned some study to be done at the beginning of the process where we hired a consult team that typically works for Discover Denver to uh, kind of look at the neighborhood um, and maybe not to the granular detail that the Discover Denver survey reports do, but uh, kind of look at the neighborhood and identify um, and see that uh, those concentrations of potential significance. Um, and at least that helps start the conversation at a neighborhood level. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's always gonna result in a landmark district, but um, just at least identifying those areas for uh, potential protection uh, based on the significance as part of a future process um, as the community really discusses this more. And for those that were were that identified in either your kind of follow-up studies, um, was there any additional outreach done to those property owners to loop them into the planning process and discussion? Um, I mean, I know you certainly yeah. presented on a pretty extensive outreach for sure. Um, yeah, so. I, I definitely had a couple people uh, call me and say, hey, why am I... I, like, why is my dot here on this property or why am I in this bubble? And uh, I kind of explained the same kind of concept plan as well. But uh, no, like, focus outreach particular to those identified areas, but it did run into people that may have owned a commercial building or they owned those areas. Okay, thank you. Um, and then I think my last one, and this is, is also kind of a comment, but um, I'm sure you'll hear other members of the planning board say that we are delighted to see plans get approved because the next day, step is implementation and hopefully kind of larger legislative map amendments. Um, uh, one, I want to restate that and hear any kind of plans that you all have, but also um, 
you know, there were some, there were a variety of pretty nuanced recommendations, especially when you get into missing middle housing options or limiting drive-through uses along Federal and Achebe Park. And those really, I don't know that our current zoning districts necessarily speak to helping solve some of those really nuanced ways of, you know, building sizes, et cetera. So I think it'd be more text amendments. So I'm just curious kind of what, what you all are discussing internally right now, both map amendments and text. Yeah, so I think when we look at the recommendations, we try to put them in different categories. Um, I, I think the first one are um, are kind of ideas for implementation where we already have the existing tools ready to deploy. So, I mean, uh, I, I guess one easy example that I could think about is if a neighborhood um, has a portion of the neighborhood doesn't have a zoning that allows ADUs, um, you know, we would recommend that and, and that would be an easier implementation item. Um, on the end of the spectrum, if there is a, um, like the missing middle housing recommendations, if it requires a text amendment or a program, that would be placed in a different bucket of implementation and, and the resources that we would need to consider. So I think is looking at the, um, the strategies and do we have the tools in place um, to achieve them, if so, um, if not, then what does that mean? If so, then uh, what does that mean as well? So we definitely think through that as part of a new implementation. Thank you. Any other questions from the board? Uh, if not, I will go ahead and close the public hearing. Oh, did you have now a question? Okay. Comment? Sorry. <laughs> jumping the gun. You're jumping the gun. Deliberate first. Uh, I'll okay. close the public hearing. Um, and open our board deliberation. Um, just for the edification of uh, members of the public, the public does not participate in board deliberation. It's our time to really consider whether the application meets the criteria. And, and I'll just share with the public, and I know our board knows this, um, our criteria are different when we look at plans. Um, and some hit these in as the presentation, but an inclusive community process, uh, consistent with the vision goals and strategies of Comp Plan 2040, and the plan demonstrates a long-term so those are what we look at in um, uh, our, our vote. Um, Heidi, with that, deliberation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, just a quick comment, again, going on to um, what others have discussed regarding implementation. Um, there's varying degrees, and I appreciate the last response, that there's varying degrees of zoning impacts in here. So there's some things that are very easy um, that can be done relatively quickly and things like creating all new districts that are going to take a lot more staff work um, to bring zoning changes forward to this board for approval. And so I'm just going to ask that staff, when you look at Im implementation, that those become priorities. And I hope that we'll start to see um, different things come before us for approval, whether it's simple text change, you know, hopefully we see those first um, and then later down the things later down the road, things like new districts. So I really look forward to seeing those um, come before us in the future. Um, and with that, that's the only comment I have other than great job as always staff. Thank you for the incredible outreach work that's been done. Every plan I see, I feel like y'all raise the bar and get us to a better place with um, engagement with the community. Thank you to the councilwoman for her continued commitment to her neighborhoods and, and helping guide these processes um, for great outcomes for this part of Denver. Um, I do believe that this is in um, conformance with the criteria and I will be voting for it. Thank you. Any other deliberations, Rachel? I echo what Heidi said. This, for me, this was one of 
the most fun and interesting plans that has come in front of us, particularly the level of detail on transportation, mobility, planning, and what that does um, from an urban design standpoint, as well as thinking through historic preservation and adaptive reuse, even if don't really have necessarily what those tools are, just a recognition that there are parts of our city that are really deep and part of the fabric um, from a built environment. Uh, I appreciated that. Uh, I agree with Heidi that this plan um, meets all of the criteria. I have some nitpicky edits that are just another sets of eyes on it. So I'll just come up to you guys after um, deliberation um, uh, just to flag some of those uh, edits for you, but really amazing work, uh, Councilman Sandoval. Um, I, the amount of community outreach and the thoughtfulness in this plan is really impressive. So thank you. Any other deliberations? Um, sorry for coming late. I just have a quick comment. Um, this is, I agree, this is one of the most interesting ones to read top to bottom. I don't know. I don't know if we're just getting used to really long plans. Um, <laughs> so does um, but really appreciate all the work. Excited to see it. Um, and honestly, my main comment is just to throw out there for our conversation two weeks from now um, that when we write the area history uh, sections of these plans, starting with the earliest settlement, is maybe something that we should uh, revisit. So, but we can talk about that more next time. Um, <clears throat> any other? Oh, go ahead, Claudia. Oh, definitely enjoy the plan, enjoy reading through it, and um, seeing the interactions between the community and uh, CPD. One item that is still kind of um, fuzzy, but I'm okay with it at this point, is just the interaction between the historic neighborhoods, the industrial district, and um, I guess modal traffic through that area. And I know that we kind of established that, you know, Yes, we're going to have a lot of development that's going to happen around there, but we also want to keep the industrial district in there because that's where we're focusing on jobs. But there was also uh, how are, you know, uh, heavy industrial vehicles going to have their transit in and out. And that was kind of one item that I kind of um, saw and slide um, on page 12, whereas um, kind of the intersection between land use, built form, and multimodal options and safety. And I think that particular area is where that's going to come to a head very soon. So, but that's just a comment. But seeing it's at least out there that yes, we need to pay attention to all these needs specifically in that area. Um, it's just one item that I would, I would like to focus on more. Any other deliberations? Great. Um, I will just uh, add thank you, Councilwoman Sandoval, for coming here today. and. and talking about your community process along with staff's great work to make sure that it was an inclusive community process for that criteria. Um, I, I do, it was really fun to read the historical discussion at the beginning and then as you broke down into each neighborhood some of the history of those evolutions of those neighborhoods. I think that's a great section, especially in this plan, to see and, and read that, that evolution. Um, uh, and then, uh, I liked the key opportunities pages, I think, and maybe we've done that in other plans, but it kind of rung out, like, and, and you spoke, if, if I'm a community member, like, that is an easy-to-digest page, um, and so I think it's a, it's a good way to communicate some of those. 
And then I will, for the record, because I can't help myself, say that I don't think we should be mapping base height and incentive height. Um, I think we should just be mapping um, base height because I, I think we still don't know how many people and developers are actually going to take advantage of incentive height um, related bonuses around affordable housing. And I think sometimes that mapping effort can less so in this neighborhood because I think there is a lot of clarity around where density should be, but I think that it can cause concerns, unnecessary concerns in neighborhoods that all of these properties are suddenly going to take advantage of that height. So I still think the mapping shouldn't be in there. <laughs> um, but with that, I do think that the criteria are met. Um, so I will go ahead and do uh, and take up a motion. Wait, we have attorney. Oh, sorry. Hi, Adam Hernandez, Assistant City Attorney. Uh, Rachel, I just want to make sure, you said you had some proposed edits. Um, are those more like typo fixes or would those be on the substantive edit side? Um, no, so there, there's three pages where there's like copy on top of copy. So I was just going to flag the pages that those are on. None of them are, they're all like that. Okay. Just additional subsidized. There's no content changes. Okay, thanks. Is there a motion? I move to approve the near Northwest area plan with the condition that the document be edited for clarity and correctness, finding that the applicable review period criteria have been met. Second. Thank you. Uh, roll call it. Melissa? Aye. Rachel? Aye. Heidi? Aye. Anjo? Aye. Claude? Aye. Koja? Aye. Mary? Aye. My vote aye as well. Uh, thank you also very much. Thank you for the presentation and the time. Um, with that, uh, the next item on our agenda is the official map amendment application 2022I00226, rezoning 700 North Mariposa Street. Um, and uh, for anyone here, and I know we had someone earlier, uh, that applicant has requested that this rezoning be postponed to the February 7th, 2024 meeting date. Um, and so I think we need a motion to postpone that. For now. Yes. Oh, sorry. Thank you. There motion. motion to postpone official map amendment application uh, 2022I-00226 uh, to February 7, 2024. Second. Thank you. Second, Angel. Um, all right, with that, uh, a roll call vote. Melissa? Aye. Rachel? Aye. 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 Angel? Claude? Aye. And I vote aye as well. Great, thank you so very much. Um, I think we may have quorum now to approve our minutes from November 1st, but Melissa, no, 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 all good. Um, so if, if, if that's okay, I know we tabled it, but I'll um, take us back to that agenda item quickly uh, for a motion um, for the minutes for November 1st. And we'll approve the meeting record for November 1st, 2023. I second. Great, um, and then I will take Melissa? Aye. Uh, Anjo? Aye. Gosha? Aye. Mary? Aye. And I vote aye as well. All right. Um, with that, we will move to our last agenda item, which is our um, kind of board time. Um, and uh, I know we are going to talk a little bit about our bylaws amendment, uh, amendments. Um, is there anything else you need to cover before we dive in on that one? Uh, thank you. No other announcement, announcements for today. Uh, so we can just uh, dive right into the bylaws discussion. Okay, wonderful. Do you have a... Yeah, and so I guess I thought I'd put it out there to the group. Uh, I sent you a copy of the uh, of the, the strike through document showing the proposed changes, and I also sent and uh, thank you for highlighting that I missed a couple things in my earlier uh, version of my PowerPoint. So I sent a, an updated PowerPoint later, 
I'm happy to share either of those on the screen and walk through them if you'd like. Uh, for example, I can just pull up the, the um, summary of proposed changes slide and we can just kind of walk through those one by one. Yeah, that one, sure. Yeah. So for everyone, um, today is to kind of get final feedback on the mark on the uh, markup that you received of the bylaws, and the plan would be to make any final changes based on this discussion, and then bring them back at our next board meeting for, for and those would be noticed and part of the agenda for uh, formal approval. Exactly. So you can see the screen here. see the proposed uh, changes shown here uh, would include um, uh, moving away from the uh, consent agenda uh, approach that's currently in the bylaws. Uh, this is consistent with the guidance I think the city attorney's office gave you uh, back in uh, November, uh, but are, we're proposing some replacement language that would, I think, achieve some of the same uh, efficiencies we've had for the last uh, three or four years with the consent agenda uh, by um, allowing the board to waive staff presentations for individual rezonings that meet essentially the same criteria for uh, what we've uh, previously, uh, since 2019 or so, been putting on the uh, consent agenda. Did that make sense to everyone, or did you have questions about that? Yeah, what was the impetus for these changes? Uh, and I don't know if you were here for uh, the last uh, uh, meeting um, and the city attorney's office uh, chatted a little bit about that. Adam, uh, do you mind uh, reminding the board kind of what uh, the reasoning is behind uh, opening up a, an individual hearing for each, uh, each rezoning? I'd be glad to talk with you after the meeting. Okay. Uh, the next uh, uh, the next change proposed is to change the number of members required from a, uh, for a quorum uh, from the current five uh, to six, so that essentially a quorum would be a majority of the 11 members of the board. And uh, Caitlin, I think that may have been a recommendation that came from you. If you want to share any thoughts on, on your thinking there. Yeah, I mean, I, I just thought it was odd. When I first rolled it, came out of the board and read the bylaws, I thought that's really odd that a quorum isn't a majority of the members. So I don't feel super strongly if there's an objection to it. It just seemed odd to me. So. If, if we did have five still, what would be the what would be the consequence or what, what would you open yourself up to? I got to see. You don't have a majority, you know, vote for it, so um, the way that, and it's interesting, the way that our voting works, let's see if I want to quote the language correctly, but um, all actions of the board must be taken by the concurring vote of the majority of the members present or six votes if we change it, whichever is greater. And so you have concurring majority of who's present or the six. And so um, it would require a vote of six regardless of how many people are present. So I guess the implication is if we have a whole bunch of absences, we'd need to have at least but six. We could have room. quorum but not be able to vote because right. we wouldn't have six. Right. Right. So it's a slightly higher bar potentially for an approval. I, I don't know, Adam, if you would advise differently. That's kind of how I would. 
on the bottom that put the number six is that it's an even number. So potentially we could have a split vote. So three and three is three, whereas five usually, I mean, not that there would be a majority one way or another. So not that we often have a situation like that where we have split votes, but it's something to consider. It's interesting that you bring that up. I wondered about that as well. And if, if the original number was perhaps intended to avoid that scenario, Adam. Yeah, so I just realized that change in section four, that change actually cannot be made due to the revised municipal code requirement. And the language of the municipal municipal code says, unless otherwise provided, no decision or other action of the board shall be official unless the concurring vote of the majority of the board members present or the concurring vote of five members, whichever number is higher is obtained. So you all could change the quorum number. That's not uh, designated in the ordinance, but the ordinance does designate the minimum number of votes needed to pass action. So in other words, if... Yes, we're just voting on changing quorum, not number of votes. But in the draft, it's both. So I think, yeah, good point. We need five votes to pass the motion. So the change in section four should go back, but the change in section three could stay for quorum or six and and i guess and to be clear that that's the quorum that has to be physically present again so like i said it was just one of those things where i thought it seems like we should have a majority present to conduct our business but um and it doesn't actually impact what's needed for the vote i i think it's uncommon that we have even six only six members present but I'm fine leaving it at five in case, just so business doesn't get stalled. But I, it's not something I feel passionately about one way or the other. Well, it's five because, like, if there's attrition, then you fall from that eleven to say. And there was nine. a period of time where we yeah. were a little low. Yeah, that's a good point. And there's absolutely no question. And we were like at seven, <laughs> and so when two people were absent, we were at four. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, maybe we just move back both back to five. I, I think, think we stick with sense. five. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, the next proposed change is to allow uh, occasional uh, planning board member participation virtually during a meeting, uh, as long as a quorum of members are present, uh, present in the uh, physical meeting location. Um, and as you may have seen in the most recent uh, version of the, of the proposed strikethrough changes, that would be a maximum of two uh, per meeting. Um, and our, you know, no, notice uh, in advance would be required. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, members would not be uh, allowed to participate while driving a, a motor vehicle. Um, and I'll just add to this. Um, we had, when I tried to relay this to Andrew, I was like, I don't know that we landed <laughs> on how we felt about the number of members participating electronically at any given time. So we had to pick a number to put in here. If you all feel like it should be higher, um, or we should just say any members. I mean, the issue is we still have to have a, a quorum present, right, in person. Yep. Um, so we have to kind of moderate to make sure, because we don't all say, yes, I'll be at the meeting. It's only, I will be absent from the meeting. Um, so I think I want to give a little bit of cushion for if someone has something come up. But um, I don't know. I don't feel strongly about two either. So what do you uh, I... <laughs> strongly dislike the um, like unless it's an emergency situation where we're all remote I think dynamics where some people are in person and some people are virtual 
makes for a really hard conversation. If you're, if you are somebody that can't participate, I think like the option of saying, Hey, can you read these comments into the record? I can't be there, but I'm going to email them to the board chair and the board chair could say, Rachel wanted to read into the comments, these things on the near Northeast plan. Great. But just from technology failing people cutting in and out, um, the question of like who gets to be virtual versus versus like two people are already virtual so you're the third person so you can't participate seems really messy to me that's my two cents i don't love it yeah it's on a first come first serve basis right yeah right now go ahead Anka. yeah i think the first come first serve is a little challenging because some of the things that would preclude you from attending might be more last minute and so that virtual option may be I mean, unless it's preferred that you just miss if, if, if you know, you have a challenge. So I, I liked that option. I, the, the first whole year and a half, uh, my first year and a half was all virtual, um, which was way more convenient. <laughs> I like the in-person, but um, I think limiting it to two is where I get a little hung up. Um, that seems a little hard to manage, uh, being that some things may, you know, come up and it may be a more last minute thing. Um, so not too crazy about the limit to two, but I like the idea of uh, being able to be virtual. I think it'll be helpful um, to have more attendance. Wow, next question. Um, I just don't know on the, the limit of two might be virtual. I actually think the limit of two is nice only because it kind of forces the issue that, hey, know what your plan is going to be. And or if you really require, you know, say, hey, yes, I need to be there at that meeting. So jump on it first, as opposed to, you know, I could be there, but if it's not required, so I'll just stay absent. So that's the reason why I would say the lower number kind of drives that issue to hit sooner rather than later. Because if there's like four spots, you're like, well, I can kind of come in last and still get the fourth spot, maybe. That's my first initial reaction to it. So my <clears throat> thoughts were, so when we first went into COVID, we actually had this mandatory quorum in person, and then the rest of us were online. And it was really messy. It was really awkward. Having a meaningful conversation was really challenging. It was really hard for Joel to run these meetings. Um, but I think I brought up this option of virtual participation and Maybe I would call it passive participation too, where you get an option to like listen and maybe ask questions, like info items, but maybe not necessarily vote and participate in the deliberation. Where it came from was I had a foot surgery and I was out for you know 12 weeks or something like that, which I was perfectly functional other than I couldn't drive myself to the building. Um, so I, I see both sides and, and I wonder, we had this discussion, but I wonder if we can revisit this kind of, I don't know, passive participation where a board member can maybe participate again in the info item and submit votes. And I know that's messy too, but I hear what Rachel is saying, having been through that. And I'd be interested in hearing, Adam, I think you, I mean, my thought is, I think it'd be fine for an info item, but I don't think they'd be able to participate as part of any public hearing because they either sort of are in or out, right? Like you don't want someone asking questions but not voting. I, I think, I don't, I don't know if you, I don't know if you'd add anything. I'm checking the, the open meetings law because it was revised in 2021 to allow for remote participation. I think it talked about um, what we're discussing now. I don't 
If it's okay, so, yeah. sir. Yes, sir. I, I guess I would just say that um, from the perspective of you know kind of managing the, the meetings and, and the work of the chair and vice chair and running the meetings, my instinct is that you know if somebody's gonna if we're gonna allow occasional virtual participation to have it be you know full participation essentially uh, rather than to try to kind of parse and have sort of a half participation option that seems like it would maybe add a bit of a of complication that would be that would make it harder to run the meetings listen um, yeah so I obviously pushed for this real hard um, <laughs> mostly just because it's I mean I don't know I know we don't do it obviously having the conversations in person is way better it's not even close however i missed a huge chunk of meetings last winter because i had sick kids and like that just is what it is and i was perfectly fine and i was like working the whole time but i couldn't participate and it just seems silly when other bodies in the city are able to do hybrid like as necessary but it's not preferred I think maybe I'm more comfortable with it because I do hybrid meetings all of the time at work. <laughs> so like maybe I just feel fine about it. It is not better. It is not preferred, but it is really helpful um, for situations like that. I don't have a strong feeling about the two. If there's two spots, two people have taken them. My kid is sick. Like it is what it is. I'm not losing anything. That's still more opportunity than I have right now. Right now, I just wouldn't be able to participate. So like, well, I, I don't I will have a strong say, feeling I mean, I on think that we part. Heard from our last strategic planning session, we heard consensus that we want an electronic option. Yeah. So I think that that is, uh, I don't think really further up for debate, it's really kind of how we extend it, right? Heidi, did you have something further? Yeah, I just wanted to share my experience as an applicant in these hybrid environments. It's incredibly challenging. And as, as a constituent of not getting great service, so I'm going to advocate for keeping the number of electronic participations limited, just thinking about what our constituents' experiences with that hybrid type of format, having experienced it firsthand myself. Um, not super passionate one way or the other. Um, I actually, on weeks when I've not been able to join, I've thoroughly enjoyed not reading the packet. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> so, um, but I will say, you know, it may be worthwhile to consider, I feel like we are all adults and we have a, an attendance policy listed in the bylaws that is there for us if we need to manage it, but it doesn't feel like it's something that's like very strictly to the letter. And it may be worthwhile putting something like that in as well, where you know there are a certain number of virtual meetings you can attend within a calendar year. Um, I don't anticipate it being a big issue with the current planning board, but there may be a future where you get somebody on and they yeah. sign up for that spot every yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. um, I thought I said another I don't want to belabor it if it's a consensus that we limit to two. I still don't see the, I don't think everybody here, I think everybody is pretty responsible. They're not going to rush, I, I hope, and take those spots. Um, I do feel that um, 
having it available um, if you need it and want to be included in a meeting. It's, I would imagine there'd be at any given time probably no more than two or three at the most, but um, I would concede to limiting it, but I do like the idea of having that virtual option. Our, uh, most of the folks that uh, are participating in public hearing hearings are virtual. And I know it include it's more inclusive of folks to have that option, so we get to hear from more community members. So I think it would um, be applicable to this board as well. So, but I don't want us to get hung up on the number. If we want to say two, maybe at some point we we'd look at it again. The stuff can be changed down the line. So I don't want to hold that up since I know I said don't limit it, but I'll concede that. Okay, so. Unless anyone wants to talk about it further, I think we're okay with the language as is. Does anyone want to add what Mary suggested around limiting the number in a year? Or are we good as, as it stands and see if that becomes an issue? I think we try it with yeah. this. And if we see that issue arrive, or, uh, you know, we can then go back and visit it. That sounds okay. Okay. See thoughts. All right, great. Um, Just real quick on F, point F, the language in F. Notice there's a form that'll need to be um, oh. filled out by that person. No, I think it's just that. Yeah, that you're right. It does say the form shall indicate. I just that seems I like we were. I, I don't staff. think that was the intent. Like, Please send an like, email to me and answer. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like that seems like more work for staff to me, and I just advocate for notification. Form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I advocate for notification via email, just like we do with absences, um, and I'd also put in there. If this is just a suggestion, if we're concerned about abuses of this policy, not by those in attendance, perhaps in the future, <laughs> you could just say with the reason, right? Like those are valid reasons, right? Well, and Unless they're really valid reasons. But for me to just go, ooh, I don't, I can just sit in my yoga pants and do a meeting. That's not a valid reason, right? I need to put my skirt on and get over here. So, <laughs> uh, so perhaps yeah, you know, my pants. That's a today it's a skirt. So I. So instead of on a provided forum electronically and then uh, with, with a reason yeah. or explanation. Or something Just something like that. of that nature. Yeah. Those are good comments. Thank you. And I think we'll finish that twice because we haven't referenced a form. And on that same topic, I see that the notification of electronic, uh, electronic participation shall be submitted by the member to the manager. Should we make that the manager and chair? Sure. Yeah, let's do yeah, manager and chair. And just so you guys know, a manager, I asked this question, but manager is basically the delegated staff person, so it's yeah. Awesome. Okay. Um, while you're doing that, I'll just tee up the next one. I don't think the last two or three have any big issues, but requiring speaker sign up. Um, I I do both in both for Zoom and in person to read kind of go back to that more formal process is something we want to have. I will say that I think we include a language where the chair has the ability. I mean, obviously, if we have three people testifying and there's someone here in person and they didn't sign up, I'm not going to tell them they can't speak, right? But but for those longer hearings, we do really want to kind of create order by having people sign up. Any questions, comments? Okay. Um, allowing council members, sponsoring these zonings or text amendments, 10 minutes to present. Um, Currently, they were technically limited to three, but we didn't really enforce it, so more here. Um, and then, uh, 
It is. It is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 It has not been enforced. And then just other cleanups. Okay. So with that, were there any other questions, comments on the bylaw revisions, and otherwise, I think you guys have the direction for bringing it back. Great. Well, in that case, then we will um, uh, clean up the strike-through document that I sent as a Word uh, version uh, as a PDF, and we'll publish it uh, a week in advance of the meeting on December 20th uh, and ask the board to, to take a vote. Wonderful. Thank you all for your time today. We are adjourned. I just have one little tiny thing. Uh, is this going out to the public?